Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Sarah Eisen, Mike Santoli at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and David have the morning off. Pre-market's not thrilled with that macro data today. UK GDP runs hot. Then our own July producer prices run warm. Highest annual headline since May. Bonds under pressure yet again. Our roadmap's going to begin with a slightly hotter than expected July PPI. And what it could mean for markets in the Fed. Also ahead, the tech sector in the midst of its worst stretch since December. Will the pullback be short-lived? And President Biden speaking out about China's economic challenges, calling the country a, quote, ticking time bomb. Let's begin with the markets, though, on this final trading day of the week as investors digest today's PPI number. Interesting, uh, Sarah. I mean, one-tenth is not that dramatic. We had a negative revision, but coming off of the stellar reception to CPI yesterday, maybe it looks a little bit worse. Yeah, after, after a 0% in June, you don't want to see it back tick up to 0.3% in July, which is what we got. And we know producer prices are wholesale prices that feed in. So maybe a little de-emphasized because we already got the, the CPI read, but you just don't want to see Traders, investors are on guard for inflation to hook back up, right? Like we hope, you know, people are hoping that the, the inflation data, which has shown moderated inflation and has been celebrated as good news, will take us down to the 2% target and the Fed's work is done. But there's a chance that, look, it could be sticky. We still see a really tight labor market where wages are rising. We see oil prices rising to year-to-date highs. That's going to matter to the headline number. And we see signs, including in this number, Mike, of the PPI, where services are still problematic. I mean, services inflation jumped 0.5% month over month in this PPI data. That's a 2.5% year-over-year increase. It's driven by trade and transportation and warehousing. So the disinflation, the good news is all in goods, which it has been. And services are still remaining a little sticky. And that's making it a big debate about whether the Fed is actually done or how long they'll have to keep rates as high. Exactly. And, you know, this is one of those instances where when the markets react to PPI, which in most circumstances is a secondary indicator. It shows you where the sensitivity is. It shows you the market has a raw nerve in this regard. And the stock market's outsourcing its response to the bond market right now. So and Treasury all those sold things off. exactly. So all those things you mentioned have built in toward into further upside momentum and yields, the ten year at 414 uh, or so. The, the the chart has been kind of stubborn. It's hanging around these highs. Um, and uh, by the way, I don't think the levels are any particularly, you know, have any magic to them. If you went back to last year, we'd be having the same conversation we're having right now about 4% 10 years, about 3% 10 years. Because every time it shot above three, the market panicked, right? It happened in May. It happened twice over the summer. So the point is, it's not necessarily the level. It's the surrounding context of it. Is it going to restrain growth from here? Does it reflect the fact that the Fed is going to be still higher and stay there for longer? So all those things building in. And by the way, in in the context, and to your point also, Sarah, we took a ton of credit into July for the soft landing is is in hand, right? People migrated to that. 
that view that it was happening. And it just sort of took more evidence of things getting better and better to improve stock prices from there. Um, so that's why I feel like when you, you're in this in-between zone, the market could not hold a rally yesterday on the good CPI number. Um, the market has not been able to really feed off of better than expected second quarter earnings. That tells you fully valued, people fully exposed for now. We're chopping around uh, to the downside. The huge mega caps correcting. All this stuff feeds it. Uh, today, B of A, uh, Hartnett tries to take a crack at why stocks have stalled out here. Uh, clients buying T-bills, fastest clip in three months. Cost of capital ain't fallen without a hard recession still in their view. Uh, that's why, I mean, looking at Treasury inflows yeah. set for a new record, and yet yields can't fall. I mean, does, does the Fed need to sort of vulgarize uh, in Wyoming this month? I don't know about that. I mean, I do know that Treasury supply has been the main focus. So therefore, sure, we're soaking up that supply, uh, you know, with some indigestion, I think. Uh, Yesterday, there was a pretty weak 30-year exactly. bond auction, yeah. which I don't know if how responsible that was for losing the rally, but it was notable it was in that. It was part of it, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, the smallest take-up, I think, from directs and indirect bidders since 2022, 87.5%. That wasn't good news. Right. Since we're on guard for the auctions and the demand. Oh, exactly. You know, all yeah. week it's been, it, it, it's been something that's been on everybody's screen, and you had two good ones leading into yesterday, and it gave the market some relief, which, again, maybe we're over-focusing on what we have in front of us in August in terms of Treasury supply and every move uh, in the yields. But the bond volatility has returned. You're seeing a lot of chop on intraday and a multi-day basis, and that's usually when the market, uh, stock market has a hard time getting comfortable. We could throw all this uh, into the, the, the middle of the, the table and say that's what's going on. But also, you just look at the chart and you say, we were up 20% through July. We're backing off toward the 50-day moving average in the S&P. Maybe we have more to go from there. Last August, when Powell gave that warning at Jackson Hole, we peaked at 43.25. That seems to be the level underneath the market right now. It's a few percent down where you would say, Okay, that's fine if we just hold above there. If not, then maybe we're going to talk about so, something deeper. Jackson Hole is the, the week after next. And then we will get a jobs report for August and a CPI report for August before the next Fed meeting in September, which if you look at the odds now in the, in the Fed funds futures, market doesn't really expect a hike. It's like 10 percent chance. The question now becomes around November and December. And if they pause in September or if they end in September. And that, that's really where the, the conversation is going. You mentioned the British GDP numbers. I don't think that's helping the narrative. Not Today, when you get 0.2% quarterly growth, 0.5% for the month of June, totally defying expectations by double, which, of course, the takeaway for the market and for investors is Bank of England can keep hiking rates because they're still not close to target yeah. on inflation. Yeah, new thinking maybe on, on Bank of England. Uh, next week is Japan, GDP and CPI. Mike, your point has been that yields are a global story. Yeah. And if we're looking at hot activity ex-China, you know, what does that mean? Although I, I would mention Goldman yesterday saying Fed's done for the year. They took off November yeah. uh, in the wake of CPI. Yeah, I feel like the, the debate on the Fed is, you know, when might the last one happen if we're getting another one? I mean, at least as far as what we can work with right now, is it November 1st? Is it December? You know, that kind of thing, uh, which I think is completely digestible for the market. But yes, Bank of Japan seemed to release longer term global yields to the upside uh, when, when, you know, late July. And that's been, I think, what, what mostly we've been contending with. Um, you know, again, it's not been across the board weakness in stocks. There has been some rotation. Energy's been a strong uh, area of the market because crude and natural gas have cooperated pretty well. 
Um, whether that's good or bad on, on a net basis is, is worth debating. But again, I keep going back to S&P's 3% off the highs and Apple, Microsoft and NVIDIA are all down 10 from their highs. Also, people are writing a lot, and I don't know, Mike, if you if you want to attempt to yeah. explain this, but the fact that the S&P index gamma flipped negative oh, yeah. for the first time in 2023, we watched these CTA levels, they've become a big part of the yes. market story. Is, Certainly the in the absence of there? other stuff. Yeah, essentially, this is the, the, the sort of mechanics of when a lot of systematic trading firms, like what their effect is on index prices, uh, in relation to how the market makers are hedging. So I don't want, you don't want to get into all of it, but all you do have to know is there's now a downside bias based on the levels Correct. we're at over the course of an intraday level. And also those CTAs and those other systematic funds, they just got very, very extended in terms of their exposure to the market. They are momentum players, they're trend followers, so the trend was super strong into July, and now we're just unwinding some. Could explain some of the, yeah. the twists and turns, which have been more dramatic this week. That's right. Let's hit the turbulence you mentioned in tech stocks. The Nasdaq 100 dropping below its 50-day moving average for the first time since March. Dan Ives today of Wedbush says, look, the fundamentals are strong. We got through earnings season, and, and it looked better, and that if the Fed is done raising rates, these stocks should be a buy. And they should rally again. What say you? Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt that the fundamentals have come through more or less um, as you would have hoped. I think that the information from the reaction was that the market figured that out beforehand. So Microsoft had a really good quarter. Microsoft also had a lot of AI excitement energy running through that valuation. And Microsoft has traded sloppily off of its quarter, even though there was nothing particularly about the quarter itself that got it negative. So I think we've been, uh, you know, testing sort of how expensive are the big best companies in the world going to be able to stay. Uh, They didn't get all the way back to their high valuations of late 2021, which was like the Nasdaq 100 at 30 times forward earnings. But it got above 25 again and 27, 8. And I think that's really what it is. It's just that adjustment. I'll I'll say something that Mike won't, which is the 10-year yield is above 4%. And that is a headwind for tech. I know you you don't think so, but... No, it's I mean, it's, people have the same conversation about the AI deal or the AI narrative when oil was 70 versus 80, right? Yeah. There's other, other, there's more competition. There is. And, and I, I would never say that rates don't matter. My only point is that the NASDAQ was at the same level when rates were one and a half. The NASDAQ, In right. 2021, okay. right? So, or 2020. So my point is that, yeah, they matter because if they're moving fast, you have to adjust what you're willing to you know, pay for risky assets, but it's just not some kind of perfect equation that you just plug it in. Uh, and, you know. Just the, f- the forward multiple, though. I no, mean, of course, but, but we were at four and a quarter in October. What's the NASDAQ done since then? Right? No, it's, it's ripped. My, one, of my, one, one of my favorite calls this morning, it's not a call, uh, but, but a note uh, from Wolf, long Intel versus short NVIDIA. Yeah. Uh, consider me intrigued. Uh, it has been a one-way street for years. I'm not saying this is the start of a secular move, but you can definitely see that ratio working its way higher over the next few months as some of these great ideas are starting to flatten out. Yeah, and, and that w- that's you know, reflective of the kind of trade. It's not just go for the laggards or go for value. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of cash flow in hand, uh, a, a kind of corporate specific story in Intel where there's kind of a restructuring as opposed to just keep paying more and more and more for the imagined future that NVIDIA is going to deliver us. So you could go sector by sector and, and play that game and maybe people are, are going to start to do that. Um, you know, Intel certainly, I mean, we're talking about market cap, there's just no 
comparison at this point. NVIDIA compared to anything in the market basically looks like it's ripe for mean reversion. I, th- I mean, the other factor here, and it relates to the yield discussion and the tech discussion and the overall market discussion, is the dollar's marching higher. And I'm yeah. watching that this morning. I've been watching it all week because it's up about seven-tenths of a percent this week. For the month, it's up almost a percent. It- Dollar rising and yields rising aren't supposed to be happening as the Fed is ending its rate hikes. That's right. And those are both headwinds for the equity market. They're headwinds for tech stocks that do a lot of business overseas. Um, and, you know, people value their earnings on a long-term basis. Yeah. So headwinds emerging. Also, oil prices rising, which is also not yeah. supposed to be happening if you're ending this sort of inflation period. Yeah, I mean, everything, it seems like the the, the storylines get scrambled here because the markets didn't really behave the way they were supposed to before the Fed started hiking. Uh, You got this 20 percent, 25 percent setback last year. In retrospect, it looks like one of these non-recession bear markets, which after which you typically by history have gotten a 30 percent gain. Well, we got the 30 percent gain in like 10 months. You know, normally it comes over the next year. My point is... um, you kind of run out of the uh, bear market priced in the recession story after a yeah. while because we've gone long enough since then to where you have to talk about what happens next. Uh, yeah, interesting take on why the consumer arguably is going to remain resilient today. Again, out of B of A, we were talking about a Savita Subramanian's note. Um, savings rate is higher than it was in 08. You got 85% of mortgages yeah. fixed. You've got uh, leverage on the labor front, obviously, with weak immigration and, and low participation. Um, and you got real wages inflecting positive. H- how is the consu- consumer right. vulnerable with all those things going on? Well, exactly. I mean, look, there was a lot of attention on the trillion-dollar aggregate credit card balances for the first time this year. First of all, credit grows with the economy. If the economy is at a record high, credit has to be at a record high unless there's something really wrong. On the other hand, the cost to service the debt, household financial obligations ratio is really low relative to history. It's not evenly distributed, right? Obviously, there's some people who are absolutely strapped. You can't afford a house, mortgage payments, right. etc. But household debt to GDP is really, it's not a 10-year low. Or exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. But the, the point is, like, it doesn't mean you could buy anything you want <laughs> because auto loans are getting stiffer and all the rest of it. But it means in aggregate, in terms of how it affects the macro, it's not challenging. Well, we'll talk retail sales because it's out next week on Tuesday. But there's just the only other thing I just want to bring up quickly as a risk and that people are starting to talk about this week is the shutdown risk. And Michael Zizis of Morgan Stanley said that there's a there's a real risk and we should be watching it. It could shave half a point off GDP for every quarter at last. He's talking government shutdown, government yeah. not shutdown. UAW strike. No, well, that too. But government shutdown we're talking about September 30th, end of the fiscal deadline. They're far apart the Senate and the House pills on spending. Uh, Gotta watch it. Fitch would be like, told you. Coming up after the break, uh, the read on retail, as Sarah said, some of the major earnings next week, including Walmart, Target, TJX Depot, Ross stores and more. Uh, We'll talk about some of the thinking about the consumer going into that. Got some media news as the writers and the studios meet again today. Got some updates on Musk Zuck when we come back. From their innovative practice facility, to unmatched views from the fairway. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. The strategy is we want to reposition Ralph Lauren back to its luxury roots. Yes. Ralph was telling me a few months ago that when he launched his first tie, right, that's he launched it with. as a very premium proposition, yep. two and a half times the price of a Christian Dior tie. Okay, so yep. our roots are luxury. Right. Our focus now is to reposition the company to be closer to the European luxury players. The CEO of Ralph Lauren last night on Mad Money talking with Jim. We know Kramer's been pretty constructive on that name, even with uh, enduring questions about the resilience in, say, China and China demand. They were pretty bullish on China yesterday. I talked to Patrice Louvet off the, off the earnings. China grew sequentially better last quarter than it did the quarter before. It was like 50 percent. So the, they're taking share in China. Um, whether that says anything about the macro environment, they're spending on luxury goods. The question on Ralph Lauren, and they reiterated the outlook, some thought that was a little conservative, was the North American business, which did see a sales decline. And what uh, Louvet told me about this, because I'm always trying to figure out what's the macro tell, what does it say about the consumer? He actually said that full price in North America, in the U.S., did very well, that it was really on value. There's pressure on value, he said, in the outlets, for instance, where units are down meaningfully. Outlets and digital hurt the overall sales number. China continues to do well. So take that as a sign of, of what you're seeing in the consumer. And I think it's interesting that he told Jim that, you know, the luxury European brands are the, are, they're clearly winning right now and they're doing something right. And after yesterday's acquisition yeah. by, from Tapestry to buy Capri, everyone's trying to do, uh, play this game, clearly. Yeah play the game or their version of the game, right? Yeah, I mean, you can argue about whether the brands themselves hold up uh, in comparison to the big European luxury brands or if the companies want them to because they do have more mass market distribution and part of the uh, logic of the merger is probably to rationalize the brands, have different tiers, and also be able to have a little more leverage maybe on the, you know, the, the third-party department store channel. 100%. We, we talked to Joanne Cravoiserat exclusively yesterday on the deal, got a lot of her thoughts on the strategic merits of why they were combining these six brands, including, and she did mention, the luxury piece of this because they're getting Versace and Jimmy Choo. Listen to what she said. Said are complementary. Um, we're, we're gaining access to parts of the market where we haven't had access, the, the higher-end luxury uh, parts of the market. So we're broadening our access there. And as I said, the brands are, are quite complementary. They're distinctive in the market with distinctive customer segments. So we're confident that this is a great deal, not only for, for Tapestry, for our shareholders, but, but all of our stakeholders. Combination of the brand. I mean, the two biggest are Coach, which is what Tapestry has, and Coors which is what Capri had. And they came out with earnings yesterday, and that Coors brand does continue to struggle. But it'll be combined with brands like Kate Spade and Stuart Weitzman, now Versace, and, and Jimmy Choo. I don't know what, is it, what, what it says about like, where we are in the cycle or where we're headed in the economy. Tried to ask her about that. She just said, look, we're thinking long term here. But, so, but these brands have been doing better yeah. coming out of COVID as people have been traveling. They're holding on to full price merchandise. But the question is what we're heading into. It did seem a little bit of a, you know, somewhat opportunistic. I mean, obviously, 
you know, Capri stock had been pretty depressed. They paid a big premium, but not relative to where the stock has traded, you know, at the highs in the last couple of years. So it seems like it's one of those deals that on paper makes so much sense because both of them are just kind of, you know, these umbrella companies for several brands and you can more the better and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, a little financial leverage and maybe there's some willingness to, to take that on uh, at this point in the cycle because the opportunity was good enough. Uh, meantime, Walmart uh, reports next Thursday. Uh, yet another positive call going into next week. It's uh, Credit Suisse today reiterates outperform. Uh, the day before was Deutsche. Uh, the, the general takes are grocery share gains, uh, inventory's pretty clean, uh, easy comp on margins, and stocks obviously been doing some record highs last couple of days. And with pressure on the value consumer, value-oriented consumer, consumers trade down and they go to Walmart, something Walmart's talked about on recent calls. So even with a strong stock price, still getting a lot of love from analysts. I'll also be watching Home Depot next week and Target because they haven't been faring as well as Walmart, don't have the grocery exposure. Home Depot, we know the problems when it comes to You see the uh, Stanley Black & Decker downgrade today. So that's where, that's where we've seen pressure on the consumer and on these I mean, Walmart's getting full credit for the defensiveness. I mean, the, 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 the forward valuations as high as it's been in 20 years, except for the heart of the pandemic, dividend yield at a 20-year low. People just feel like it's very predictable, reliable story right now. Still to come, we're going to talk about the auto stocks and what has been a rough start to the month. Talk about those negotiations with the UAW workers as well. Taking a look at futures as we head into the opening bell. Some pressure after a mini rebound yesterday. Dow futures down 69. More Squawk on the Street when we come right back. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Top S&P sector for the week is going to be energy as WTI aims for its seventh positive week in a row. A lot of attention, uh, Mike, being paid this morning to Arbob Wholesale Gasoline. You're probably going to see $4 at uh, gas stations in the coming days, 52-week high, even though U.S. is on pace to produce more oil this year than any country in the history of the world. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, globally, there's been a little bit of a firming up in the supply-demand picture. I mean, natural gas has been screaming higher. Part of that's an Australian strike, but really it's also weather. Uh, So a lot of things working in this direction, uh, sort of with crude oil on the verge of breaking above what were the highs before the Ukraine invasion in the mid-80s or thereabouts. Uh, And the stocks have done well. I mean, the stocks really did not give back that much of last year's gains. You know, oil prices stayed in a comfortable level, cash flow strong. And they're now, uh, you know, kind of reasserting themselves a little bit. The XLEs, you know, outperformed the, uh, you know, the semiconductor index on a two-year basis, for example. So it uh, seems like an area of the market that people are willing to rotate into. The issue is it's 4.5% of the S&P, and tech plus Internet is like 35 So, you know, it's not exactly like it can carry the whole weight. agency today, the IEA, which talks about OPEC supply cuts happening at a time when macroeconomic sentiment is improving, and they see record levels of oil demand. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and you know, and China's always out there. Even though it hasn't come through yet, Francisco brought to B of A yesterday said that. Also, the price of Russian crude has been on the rise, so uh, it's, it's filtering through the whole market. Right, and we'll, we'll, we'll start talking about Europe's winter yet again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if things don't change. There's the opening bell. Uh, some uh, negative breath this morning at the big board. It's Delmonico's restaurant celebrating its grand reopening in the financial district. Good for New York City. At the NASDAQ, uh, JetAI, a private aviation and AI company celebrating its listing via SPAC. Mike, you mentioned yesterday the number of times we had crossed the 4,500 mark. Yeah. It's going to be harder to do that today. It was six straight days. Yeah, it's going to take more than a 1% gain from here to, uh, to get us there. Um, I, you know, I don't know that 45 necessarily was uh, some really significant level, but it, do, it did sort of serve it as this spot uh, where we were struggling. Now, it's in the 4430s, I guess, is where the 50-day average is. So all these things are coming uh, into sight as to whether we get, you know, it's still routine in, in routine pullback zone. And I would say, you know, anything like 5% from the highs would be no big deal. But it's, uh, it still would mean some chop to the downside. Seasonal's not that favorable. Uh, and as I said, inability to, see, to really benefit from what should perhaps have been good news on inflation and earnings was the tell. Well, we're now firmly negative for the week for the S&P yeah. 500, down a little more than half a percent. And you can see the divergence. The Nasdaq's down 2% this week. The Dow is still positive this week just a little bit, but it shows you where the brunt of the pain has been. It's been on technology, and this morning, the only sectors that are higher, energy and utilities, tech is at the bottom of the market, again, on some of these macro worries, right? Yeah. And the fact that maybe it was ripe for a pullback. Exactly, you had so much air under that part uh, of the market, and you know, I always feel like these pullbacks happen in these waves, like the first people to back off are those who are pure momentum players who are only in there still because the stocks won't go down. Once they break, those folks get, a, get out of there. And then you have a rethink of why did we get here in the first place? What does the valuation look like? Does it, do they seem over-owned or under-owned? Uh, and I think after earnings, there was a sense out there that people had, had loaded up on these names uh, enough that they, uh, that they, you know, I, I think that also, you know, Carl, the combination today and the lack of other major news of a hotter than expected PPI, wholesale inflation number, a better than expected GDP number, out of the UK, the fact that CPI was good yesterday, but was widely telegraphed, you know, that it, it, it raises some questions for a market that, as we mentioned, is on edge for any signs that inflation is popping back up and that the trend toward disinflation might have a few more bumps, might prove a little stickier than normal, which would have implications for Fed policy. I'm watching the Treasury market today because yields are higher and Treasuries are selling off. The dollar is stronger. Again, those are indications that there's a risk. Well, there's no doubt. And, and of course, it happens at a time when you also still have that undercurrent of, of worry that it's late cycle and things are decelerating. And yeah, the job market looks healthy, but you know, over the course of six months, it can certainly trend lower from here. Where are we going to get the workers? So uh, I don't think it's a one-sided worry. We always knew that you know things have to go well on two fronts to get a soft landing on inflation and on, uh, on growth. And, you know, we're going to bump between those uh, those scenarios for a while. Looks like. uh, you mentioned uh, areas of tech that are coming under pressure today. Semis are going to definitely stand out uh, as the SMH. Uh, I almost called you Jim. Mike is back to June levels and it's uh, it's AMD. It's NXP. AMAT, by the way, earnings next week. Corvo, NVIDIA. Um, kind of interesting, these comments that the president made according to pool reports yesterday about China, yeah. uh, calling them bad folks, uh, calling their economy a ticking time bomb. 
um, not to mention the country garden concerns, but the worry that uh, with these investment restrictions this week that is China poised to retaliate? Yeah, and I think it was one of those um, set of remarks that seemed like it was straying from the very careful orchestrated, yes, we're going to take these measures, but we're going to, you know, communicate it openly and transparently. We don't want to exacerbate the situation. But um, I think the semiconductors, aside from the AI stuff that got them really, you know, running, um, there was a sense out there that the market got a little hasty in terms of pricing in a, a decisive turn in the cycle. Um, and there's still just a lot of upside to work off. Like, it doesn't seem like to me we're out of that, uh, out of that realm of this is just a needed correction in an overheated group. On the, the ticking time bomb comments, obviously Wall Street's paying attention because that's an escalation in rhetoric from the president. He was speaking at a fundraising event, though, I think is important right. to remember. Also, he made a lot of very inaccurate statements about the Chinese data. If you look at the reports of those remarks, he said they were growing 8 percent, now they're growing 2 percent. Well, the last GDP showed they're growing a little more than 6 percent, if you believe their data. Right. And then he also said that there, there are more people in retirement than there are working age, which is not quite true and off by a few hundred million people. The bottom line is the market is also watching this risk. I think the, the read on the executive order yesterday, Mike, was that it was a little tamer than yeah. it could have been and tamer than the, the really harsh order that they put on semiconductors and on you know, what, they, what they announced last year from the Commerce Department when it comes to restricting any sort of advanced semiconductors for military activity. But it's clearly something we got to keep an eye on, especially because things were looking better there. It was thawing. Remember, Treasury Secretary Yellen had made a trip there. Blinken made a trip there. Ramondo is set to make a trip there. So it's always a little bit tenuous. And then in, on the same day, though, didn't China reopen for group tourism? Yeah, tour, uh, 70 so. countries now get uh, group travel, including uh, Japan including, and yeah. areas of Europe. Yeah. Good for which, growth. Which is uh, hopefully going to help the travel names, although Carnival's definitely a standout on the weak spot. Uh, today, there's some data on hotel occupancy down one year on year, uh, which is... Uh, going to be interesting. Disney had made some constructive comments about its parks and cruise business, although Disney now has given back yeah. roughly half of the earnings bounce, uh, Mike. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it was it was definitely a little bit of a move uh, on faith. We're bumping around these areas. There's still a few bucks above the lows from a couple of days ago, though. So it seems like uh, folks are starting to give a little more credit that they might have a, a path out of a lot of the business model issues. I was going to uh, take a look, too, though, at um, in terms of yesterday's action and follow-through as GM and Ford have firmed up a little bit. GM still to the downside. Pretty conspicuous yesterday the way that they both sold off very hard with a lot of the concern flaring up about the UAW and, uh, and, and wage growth and also whether that's something that, you know, feeds into the general anxiety about stickiness and inflation uh, after the Teamsters deal and, uh, and all the rest. I mean, that, what, $170,000 uh, wage for, for UPS for drivers? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's a big round number for that some, people are yeah. focusing for, on for some. That and, and the 130 k price for the GM Escalade <laughs> EV. <laughs> right. I saw that. Yes. I thought it looked a little cyber trucky. Um, one, one, of the, one of the movers that we're watching, News Corp, is at the top of the S&P 500 today, which is interesting because the company actually swung to a loss. There was some good news in there, profitability, for instance, at the, the Dow Jones unit, which owns Wall Street Journal and Barron's. Um, was high. But the, they did talk about weakness in consumer demand in books. Remember, they own publishing, in housing. Here's what the CFO said about the environment. 
Consumer demand slowed in the fourth quarter more than we initially expected, leading to lower front list sales and higher returns, particularly in Christian publishing and general books. Most of the weakness was in North America. Stock was initially flat on the news, Mike. It's up today, 2% in a down market. Yeah, um, it's certainly a better than fear type of message. Um, it's, it's a very uh, sort of low expectation stock, benefiting from that a little bit. There were also some comments from the CEO about AI and, and uh, uh, the company and other media companies as being beneficiaries potentially because they own a lot of the proprietary content on which AI models are being trained. And right. so he, he had some bright things to say about maybe getting paid for some of that monetizing, not necessarily using AI to create its own products, but just well, be feeding into the whole he ecosystem. He said ingestion should not lead to indigestion. <laughs> right. In other words, they're getting scraped, they're getting ingested for yep. AI, but I don't know that they're getting paid. Well, no, I, I don't think they're necessarily getting paid right now, but there is a big move among those people who own copyrighted materials and, and everything to make sure that there is some kind of payment out there. You know, you, we need like a Getty Images or some clearinghouse to get paid for stuff that's uh, that's online. And I will say, having worked at Dow Jones for a long time, the culture there is we get paid for our stuff, right? The Wall Street Journal was the first news website really to demand a subscription. Uh, that was a big move, too, at, back in the at day. At the yeah. outset, yeah. yeah. So. Um, brings to mind uh, media in general and the fact that the Writers Guild is going to meet once again uh, with the AMPTP today, where we expect the streamers and the studios to respond to some of their uh, recent proposals. Of course, uh, covers uh, almost 12,000 writers. Uh, at the same time, um, for example, names like Netflix today, J.P. Morgan's uh, Doug Anwith says the paid sharing revenue hopes are coming in a little bit slower than expected, but they do uh, expect it to be quite accretive over time. It's, it, it can only be a, at least a modest tailwind as opposed to anything else. Those stocks all reacted pretty well to Disney's quarter and the, the pricing power that they're going to try to exert across streaming. Um, you know, it seems to me like the strike is going to create this whole occasion for a, an industry that overinvested in production. It's like, you know, energy in 2015 or something. They fracked too much. It seemed like a winning strategy. And then the market said, sorry, no, the economics don't work for us here under current conditions. And now you have to find what's the right level of production? What's the right level of investment? What are we going to get paid for? Can we pay attention to profitability? Seems like that's where the, the, the industry is, is heading toward right now. It's not going to be at the, to the net benefit necessarily of creators, but they have to strike some kind of deal to get things going ah, again. I mean, it only took, what, tens of billions of uh, dollars in yeah, losses exactly. and, and tons of write-downs and impairments, right, before they turn tail. Right. right. Uh, and a lot of people complaining that there's too much to watch and you can't keep up with it. So, I mean, how much are you losing if you are a little more curated in what you put out there? I think that's, that's the experiment they're going to run. For those of you wondering about the Musk-Zuck fight, <laughs> there is an update because Elon Musk tweeted at 7.30 this morning. Uh, Eastern time. It looks like he's they're they're making plans for it. The fight, he says, will be managed by me and Zuck's Foundations, not UFC. Live stream will be on this platform in Meta. Everything in camera frame will be ancient Rome, so nothing modern at all. I spoke to the Prime Minister of Italy and the Minister of Culture. They've agreed on a location. So I was bending down there to read the tweet. <laughs> yeah. Small small font. But you know, I talked to Linda Yaccarino, the the CEO of X, about this, whether it was really happening. And she said Elon's been preparing. Listen. I think it is a separate excitement from the business. You know, I represent all business operations. I don't think I will be on the undercard 
for the cage match. So I think uh, we have to really stay focused on the, the seriousness of the potential of X and not conflate it with things uh, that may be a, a uh, humorous back and forth between uh, Zuck and Musk. And we'll see if that cage match really does happen. She then went on to say that he is actually training. And that was in response to a question that I asked about whether it was good for the business yeah. to have this fight. So I keeping think, it focused on I mean, the business. I people are asking which, that about for both of them, for both companies, right. really. Um, well, and, her, uh, her update was a good one on the business. She said they were close to break even, with yeah. it, which I think shocked a lot of people who've been following the woes of X and the advertising the guys said she's been winning back customers and named some names. Yeah. Like I mean, you could, everyone can define what close to break, break even is relative to what they were losing before. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if things are, uh, are looking like there is at least some, some return uh, of ad revenue, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know, it seems like the fight thing works for everybody as long as it's kind of this live possibility out there. They seem to want to promote the idea that there's something happening. Um, but I like the nothing modern at all except we're going to stream it on two different social platforms. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they're going to wear sandals. Ancient Rome yeah. and, uh, and broadband is all you're going to need. <laughs> right. uh, it's certainly not helping Tesla shares today down uh, almost 3%. That's going to take you back to the early June, I guess, on more of the car concerns that we're talking about. And, we, and obviously, uh, Tesla is uh, widely considered the rabbit that everybody's trying to chase. Speaking of which, uh, Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas today uh, reiterates uh, his underweight on Carvana but ups his target a couple bucks to 37, says company deserves a lot of credit for making this much progress, um, but that the risk reward definitely has downside. Interesting, some of those names, Mike, Twilio is another example today, uh, gets an upgrade uh, over at uh, Argus as they go to buy on some of the notion that maybe the enterprise is, is poised to to make a stand. Also, Cisco yeah. with this positive catalyst watch at City. Yeah, Twilio is certainly one of those companies in the category of we think that things have stabilized, at least in terms of overall enterprise demand, but also this mantra of we're focused on profitability, we have to get keep our costs right. Um, so all these companies that were uh, kind of growth at any price two years ago are now in, let's see what the real size of our business is, and they're they're trying to promise something to the street in terms of profitability, if nothing else. Consumer discretionary is down, but it's so interesting to see the home builders. Uh, they're, they're up today, again, in the face of rising yields. That relationship really was, is broken. Remember, they used to be tied at yeah. the hip, where home builders would sell off as yields rise because more, higher mortgage rates hurts activity. Well, not in this low supply environment for housing, which keeps pricing strong and which keeps, and the fact that we've seen confidence really come back for the, for the home builders. You also go back to the CPI report yesterday and look at that owner's equivalent rent number, which is still so elevated and a big problem for the core services. I know, although I, and I did push out uh, the spokes thesis that vacancy rates are rising. Zillow asked rent is yeah. declining, usually a 12 month lag there. So and lagging. then apartment supply is, is booming. It is. Uh, and that's, online, that's really the yeah. best thing that the doves have going right now, right? Or at least hope wise. I think that's where a lot of the confidence is that you will see further declines in core inflation, you know, at least from that source over the next several months, just because of the way the mathematics of it work. Um, but, to to the point, it. <laughs> but to the point about, yeah, you do, absolutely. But to the point about home builders, it's almost in this backward way. Higher rates means the, the builders of new homes get to buy down the rate and they can actually mitigate that effect uh, on buyers, whereas existing homes are just nothing uh, for, for people to feed off. My, my question for you now, Mike, is whether or not the Bulls can defend S&P 50 day nine points. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it makes sense to have, if nothing else, a touch. Um, I don't think the 50 is the one that's like kind of the make or break. Is this just a pullback or not? But there probably will be an attempt on a summer Friday to see if that uh, if that matters uh, at this point, because you're not going to get any further real uh, fundamental stimuli before the close. That's uh, that's going to determine anything more than uh, risk appetite and what yields do, because that has been the intraday mover. And we're at 413 on 10s, uh, 490 on 2s. So going back to early August levels yeah. at this point. Uh, we'll watch that. Speaking of which, uh, Bonds just told you uh, what some of the yields are doing in this environment. Uh, data for the morning is done, but not completely, as we're still awaiting you, Mish, and we'll get a look at some confidence and inflation expectations in just about 14 minutes. Don't go away. It's been a tough stretch for the tech sector. The group down 8% from its highs, down 6.5% this month. Check out the biggest laggards on the NASDAQ 100 for the week. Uh, you see Datadog down uh, 16%, Trade Desk, Micron, Marvell Technology, and PDD Holdings. We'll be hitting all the market volatility later tonight. Don't miss our CNBC special, Taking Stock. That's with me and Josh Brown later tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll be right back. Stay with us. So two years after Evergrande's debt troubles, remember that? Worries about Chinese real estate. And that sector are coming to the forefront again. Our Eunice Yoon is live from Beijing with more and another troubled company here that we're watching, Eunice. Absolutely, Sarah. Shares of Country Garden plummeted to the equivalent of 12 U.S. cents in Hong Kong. And this is as investors are starting to fear that we could be seeing another major debt crisis in the already very troubled Chinese real estate market. A country garden is not a household name around the world, but it certainly is here in China. It's one of the largest privately um, run uh, uh, property developers in the country. And uh, of course, the property sector has been suffering from uh, sales uh, falls as well as declines in prices. And that is exactly what the company cited as the reasons for its current woes. Uh, The company missed two coupon payments earlier this week, though there is a 30-day grace period. Uh, Moody's downgraded its rating uh, because of what they cited as heightened liquidity and refinancing risk. Uh, Morningstar has also warned that there could be more trouble to come. Uh, They estimate that 137 million uh, bond interest payments are still going to come due in 2023. Now, there is some market expectation that the family that runs the company could put in their own personal wealth, but Morningstar has said that that still might not be enough. Now, the company itself on Thursday uh, warned the uh, stock exchange in Hong Kong that it could be reporting very soon, just uh, later this month, that it had a total loss of $7.6 billion in the first six months of the year. And this is versus actually making a profit in the year ago period. Uh, local media have been reporting that uh, the, the uh, debt restructuring could be in the works. And the company itself hasn't commented on that report. However, it has said that it's making an all-out effort uh, to ensure a self-rescue. It says that it's considering various debt management measures. Guys? There's also, you know, these reports, Eunice, that Beijing is is trying to tackle the debts by local governments in a big sort of top-down approach. How, how much how much yep. support is the government doing? It, it feels very piecemeal right now, but maybe you can sum it up for us. Yeah, no, I mean, in terms of support, there's definitely a lot of uh, announcements 
uh, from the top that more needs to be done. In fact, the, the securities regulator had held a meeting uh, inviting uh, several different real estate uh, developers asking for what they think needs to happen uh, to uh, resolve some of the debt issues, um, asking for uh, their advice. Um, but uh, in terms of what they're actually doing in, in, in terms of actual dollars, uh, that still hasn't happened. And a lot of that is because of the fear that the leadership here has about the rising debt problems, uh, not only, of course, in the real estate sector, but in other industries as well. Uh, Eunice, any thoughts on um, on how China might respond to at least some of the reported comments by the president about China, the government, the economy at this fundraiser? Yeah, it, it hasn't actually gotten a whole lot of play. Uh, he did say, as as you guys probably have been reporting out, uh, that uh, China was a ticking time bomb. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he was pointing at a lot of problems, including ones right uh, that we're seeing before our eyes in the real estate sector, that you have a country that has an economy uh, where the demand hasn't been great. Uh, consumption is uh, slowing down because people are really worried about the future. And then, of course, you have uh, the troubles in the real estate sector and then worries about deflation. So it all kind of adds up to a very negative picture. And then externally, you don't have the help with the exports either. Uh, Eunice, uh, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, uh, more over the coming days, including some of these uh, travel restrictions getting lifted. That's our Eunice Yoon in Beijing tonight. Uh, we'll take a quick, quick break here as we are still defending the S&P 50 day, about uh, 12 points or so below where we are at 44.51. Back in two. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 